Welcome back to 24 Faithful. My name is Joshua Rivers, your host. And again, we're joined with Bradley and Joel coming with us to be able to do our review of 24, our favorite show of all time. And even though there's a lot of other shows that we like, 24 keeps coming back and back and back and is our top show. And so we're coming back to be able to review this. We started reviewing season number one last week, and we did not make as much progress as we intended. And so we're going to take a couple steps back, and then we're going to basically be covering episodes eight through 13. I'll do what you want. That's the spirit. Where's Senator Palmer now? He's on his way up. Assemble it. Do you really think that anybody's going to believe that I shot David Palmer? When I started my campaign, I made a promise to you who supported me. Get him out of here! Bow, did you screw me? Don't know my family! I'll help! Please! That's it, we're done. Please. Kill the wife and kid! Please, Jack said CTU had been infiltrated. Are you saying Jamie's a spy? Why else would she lie? The guy you work for, what's his name? Colin Gaines. So we're going to be uh, starting, and so we talked a lot about season one um, overall as we were getting into the first several episodes and kind of the um, premise and the foundation that was set for the whole series as well. And so we got talking about a lot of that. And basically, we got up to the point to where we, uh, we realized that, that Kim had been kidnapped and Terry had been kidnapped. And now they are being held. And Jack is being blackmailed by Gaines to carry out his plan. And so I, I think it's a... It, 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 it just, I mean, obviously, the whole setup in the first several episodes is going to this. And I remember as I was just kind of thinking through the first couple episodes, it's like, man, it's taking a long time for Rick and, um, and the other guy to actually get to where they're actually kidnapping her and take, taking her to where they're supposed to be going. But I started thinking that that was probably the plan overall to kind of spread it out because they need to get Terry to be able to go along with um, Kevin to to be able to kidnap her as well so that terry had to start to trust kevin to where she would go with him so i, I think they i don't know that that's kind of what i'm playing in my mind even though it's like it's stretched out for several hours that um that, that took took place i mean we said about it last week didn't we that there's a very methodical structure to season one that, it, that in a way that many of the other seasons don't have that do feel a little bit chaotic. Season one is very, very careful in step A, step B, step C, step D, and making sure that each one feeds into the next and they know at a particular point why this is happening now and not 20 minutes ago or in 20 minutes' time. And I think I mean, the kidnapping is, is a particularly good example of that. As you say, it does take a while for Kim to actually be kidnapped by Rick and Dan, it's episode five before she gets to Gaines. But actually, like you say, you need that time with Terry and Kevin. And I mean, we we end up having plenty of time with Terry and Kim at the compound anyway. So. (laughs) Yes. You can tell through the first quarter of the episodes 
that it was very slow and methodical. Like it took a long time to get to the point where they needed to get. Um, but you can tell that it didn't really pick up, you know, action wise. Like it hit, it hit that next gear around episode eight. Um, I believe that's the episode, like the episode where Jack officially, you know, got framed for trying to assassinate President Palmer or presidential candidate Palmer. Um, that's when the action kind of went to that next level where Jack was kind of on the run um, and he was trying to avoid the police, but at the same time he was trying to get to his his wife and his daughter, which by the way, let me just say this right now. The further I get into season one, the harder it is to get through some of these Terry Bauer scenes. Cause it's because her voice is just like in and I've seen some of her other roles and things like that, but in this particular role, her voice is like nails on a chalkboard. Okay, it's it's it's, it's taking everything in me, even though I know what's ha- what's gonna happen next. It's taking everything in me not to fast forward through some of those parts. If I if I was just rewatching it for leisure and I didn't have this podcast to do. I would probably fast forward through most of her parts, <laughs> but um, you could tell um, with the kidnapping that you could start to see what's the, what's the guy's name the the kidnapper that kind of has a soft spot for Kim. What's his name? Rick. 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 You you could kind of see. Even before episode eight, you could kind of see early on that Rick was probably going to be a problem, not for Kim and Terry, but for the 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 kidnapping. Because every time you see like a major kidnapping in a in a movie or a TV show, there's always that one person that has the soft spot that messes everything up. <laughs> there's always that one person that just kind of has these second thoughts that you know, is trying to make amends for, you know, what he's done. But the kid, the kidnapping really controls most of episodes eight through 13. Um, because like we've said before, episode 13 was originally supposed to be the end of season one. So I think they kind of bided their time to kind of ease into it through those first half of the episodes and around episodes seven and eight, that's, and really nine, that's when they kind of kicked it in the high gear as far as the, the actual kidnapping portion of the, of the, the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I really liked the, the way Jack handled the whole blackmail situation. And so um, and so he gets, that gets poor a call from Gaines and ends up kidnapping Nina. And Nina is driving him as, as he's getting instructions. And I think Jack knew that things weren't going to be turning out well 
in the situation because I mean he's dealt with stuff like this before in some fashion and so and so he knew and so so when he was told to kill Nina I think it was a it, it kind of set a precedence and like really showing his character that he's going to be outwardly showing that he's complying but he's also going to be doing what he can to protect the people that he should be protecting and so so when he grabs Nina takes her out puts that jacket around her to, I mean, the, the, everyone watching her is not thinking anything different, other than okay, he's throwing a jacket on her. They probably didn't think anything, and so then when she, when he does shoot her, I mean, it obviously protects her, and that kept his cover and kept her alive at the same time. And of course, we know he's done this in future episodes or future seasons, but I, I think that was really good. And then also as uh, he he had that same mentality through that whole blackmailing situation to where when it came time for um, the assassination attempt, he was able to find a way to be able to protect Palmer and, and ki- at least kind of keep his cover with, with gains. And so I thought that was really well handled and just kind of really shows the thought process that Jack goes through. And he's not just acting on, reflex or whatever and so i thought that was really good i mean the episodes in season one overall are absolutely jam-packed with character information i mean at all times it feels like you're learning something i mean there, there's a scene we'll talk about next week with uh, the drazens where you learn sort of like five things from that side in the, in the space of about a minute um and these two episodes seven and eight um from the moment jack gets back to ctu to when he's arrested for trying to assassinate palmer um, you kind of you you really learn just how resourceful he is, just how much he thinks out the box, just how much he's always 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 looking for that exit route, and most of the time he's able to find it. And actually, you know, you think when Gaines takes control of him in the previous episode, you do wonder. Although we've seen him in these first six episodes, he seems like the badass. He seems like he's in control. He knows what he's doing at all times. You do wonder kind of how he'll respond to this and whether Gaines can actually with this influence of having kidnapped his wife and daughter, whether this is actually how you break Jack and well, it's not. Mm-hmm. One thing, one thing I do want to mention when it comes to the attempted assassination of Palmer, you know, they caught him, they stopped the attempt, the quote attempt and they arrested him. Jack's trying to plead his case. He doesn't win. So they're going to take him. They're going to take him out back. Now, I'm not a police officer, not an FBI agent. But common sense to me has to ask, why would you take him through the boiler room area to get him out of the building? That's that's my question because as you see when when they take him through that boiler room area, it didn't go so well. <laughs> so my question is, I mean, there's no back door, there's nothing, there's no other alternate exit they can take him out of, because it just seems like even if I was watching it for the first time, when you take him through that boiler room area, <clears throat> and you see the guy on the ladder say, "Stop! Wait a minute! Let me turn this off first. 
and then say, okay, now you can come through. Even if I was watching for the first time, something would start ringing in my head that <laughs> this is not going to go well. So that that's just one thing that jumped out at me from about that scene. Um, but you start to see glimpses that, especially watching future seasons, that there's going to be one, a couple of constants. Um, number one, that Jack will always be at odds with law enforcement, no matter what. <laughs> no matter what he's doing, Jack will always be at odds with law enforcement. And number two, Jack is always willing to sacrifice anything and anyone to protect his family. And those are two constants throughout season one that will eventually be prevalent through all seasons of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and as we were talking about this, this whole season really is like teaching us about the characters, and especially Jack. And so, and so, in each of these situations, the character of Jack is being revealed, it is being solidified, and it's being tested. And then, even even through the testing, Jack comes out and he's like, "Yeah," and he's he just shows that that he's consistent through that and so we have the the woman hostage the the waitress that um he ha- holds as whatever hostage in the construction zone area i mean he, he wasn't being i mean it, it's not like she was being treated as an interrogator i mean he was it, it was just a situation and so he he does that many times throughout the rest of the seasons where um where he gets somebody and he has to um, threaten them or coerce them to comply, but it's not, it's not like he's threatening, threatening them. And so I just think it's an interesting thing. And he, that's just kind of like a part of his character to where it's like, he's using the intimidation, but he doesn't want to hurt uh, the, the person unnecessarily. And then also we see like, like Jack's interrogation method uh, with, with Koffel in the limousine to where, um, yeah, he's in a hurry, but he's willing to take a little bit of time to build the suspense and do it and 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 bring that fear um, in there. And so I, I think that was really good as well. I mean, Jack, well, in these these sort of nine to 13 episodes that we're here to talk about today, it feels very much like the Jack that we remember when we think about 24. You might, you know, when you think about Jack Bauer, you might not think about the scene with Laura and the waitress. You might not think about him threatening to stick the the wet towel down Cafell's throat. But actually it's very much representative of Jack as the old overall character. You know, he's as I said before, resourceful. He's absolutely determined. He's got his purpose and nothing will stop him from achieving that. Um, he's no longer obviously at this point, no longer got gains. He's not under gains of thumb at this point. So he can pretty much do whatever he wants in order to actually get to save his family. And we do see that. And it is just really interesting that after sort of eight episodes, we've, we've got this very good and pretty accurate picture of Jack Bauer. And now we finally see almost the final pieces of it falling into place in that this is, you know, he, he is absolutely going to do anything, whatever it takes 
in order to achieve his mission. And his mission is partly claiming his family, partly stopping the people trying to kill David Palmer. <clears throat> one thing, one misconception that all of the characters have about Jack is that he's impulsive, that he acts with no regard for the law, no, no thought process. He just acts on instinct and acts on his feelings and his emotions. But one thing that the viewer recognizes is that <clears throat> that's not really the case at all. That Jack is, yes, he does seem impulsive and, and you know, he acts out on his emotions and things like that. But there's also a very clear thought process that, that he goes through. Not, there's no action that he takes that he did not think about first before he takes it. He always thinks about the consequences. He always thinks about um, the alternate routes that he could take, or he always thinks about how he's going to do it. Even though, even though we may see it as a spur of the moment thing, but to Jack, that spur of the moment action He's probably already been thinking about for 30, 45 minutes before that about how he's going to get out of that situation and what routes he can take to get out of that situation. And I guarantee you nine times out of 10, the last thing on Jack's mind is what's going to happen to me if I do this. Jack's thought process is always how can I save the uh, how can i save other people how can i save my family how can i save this person how can i save that person the last thing on jack's mind is how am i going to get out of this situation unscathed and i think i would contest the imp i was gonna say i would contest the impulsivity thing with him punching ted kofel in the heart or on the chest which instantly kills him um, that one he didn't think through. And to be fair, no, to be fair to Joel, he actually, you see that then Jack really struggles with it, not necessarily because he's just killed a man, but because he realizes that actually he's done a really stupid thing. He knew about, you know, we, he'd had the conversation with Nina about the heart medication and, and the fact that he had a heart problem. And he's still done this thing that's ended up killing his only lead when it comes to trying to find his family. And he has, ends up taking five minutes to just kind of has to refocus himself, has a little mini breakdown, and then is able to reset himself and has that wonderful scene with Kevin Carroll in the limo. Mm -hmm. That was that, that was, was, that, was one of my, that was one of my favorite scenes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, so we have um, kind of moving through here. So, so with Terry and Kim, by by this point, they're they're going through a lot of different things. There's uh, the whole rape situation that, that takes place. And um, I, I guess you could say Terry takes one for the team um, in a way. So, so she volunteers to, to nicely go to be able to protect Kim. Um, and I would, and so yeah, Bradley, you had some notes there um, about, about that and how, how great that was that she did that. And so, yeah, I think we, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit next week because it will really come into it next week. But I think, 
I think that Terry is slightly harshly treated in all the hatred um, overall. But certainly when it comes to this stretch of episode, you, you mentioned the rape there. Um, I mean, fantastic, you know, just what you'd expect from a character like her. Um, save the daughter, you know, she's not going to be subjected to this horror. They're already in a bad enough situation. Terrible things have already happened to her. She's seen her best friend get hit by a car. Um, she's been kidnapped herself. You know, she's watched Dan get shot. This is, you know, we don't need this happening to her, right? So she sacrifices herself for this, for Eli. You know, great mothering, well done. But, and this is the, the, the part of the one thing that, or say one of the things that helps my perception of ter- Terry's character. She's also really resourceful and really smart. And I don't feel like Terry gets enough credit for that. You know, she steals the phone from him while this is happening to her. She's intelligent enough to know that this is an opportunity where his guard will be down and he, she will be able to get this advantage, which is the phone, call CTU, hopefully they can find out where we are. Later on, um, when Eli comes down to kill the, the women uh, on Andre's orders, she shoots him and then fires a second shot because she knows that they're expecting two shots. There are Terry and Kim. If they don't hear two shots, something's weird. You know, there, there are moments throughout this where, you know, we could talk at length, presumably, you know, later on the amnesia storyline, Joel hates the sound of her voice, all of this, but <laughs> the character herself is actually fairly good. I think. I really hate the sound of her voice. I just, <laughs> I just want that to be known. I really hate the sound of her voice. <laughs> yeah, since, um, since I mean, since last from, from week, a character hearing, that, from a character yeah, since last week, hearing your uh, your your comments last week, and then doing some of the little bit of rewatching I was able to do, um, I I started to realize that Terry's not as annoying as I remembered. Um, because at first I was not quite as critical as Joel, but uh, but but I, I did find her character annoying. But but I, I'm not as annoyed with her now that going through it again um, myself. There are storyline issues throughout this season with her. I'm not going to deny that. And we'll come to that in, in future podcasts. And say Joel does not seem to like Leslie Hope at all. But actually, as a, as a character, Joel, I mean, you've got to look at certain things that do happen and actually surely feel that she is a fairly okay character, at least. I don't have... I don't have any issues with Leslie Hope, per se. The the character that she portrayed, Terry Bauer, is what ruffles me the wrong way. And she really reached peak annoyance the first five or six episodes. Basically, Basically up until the point where her little storyline with uh, Kevin ended. Once she once she got dropped off, and then she got amnesia, and then she got kidnapped, and all that stuff. She wasn't as annoying, but she was still uh, fairly annoying. However, I will say that she is fairly smart, and she is fairly resourceful, and I did enjoy the the. Enjoyed as much as I could the little moments that she had with Kim um, when they were just sitting there in the room waiting for them to come back. Um, so I did enjoy those moments. So there, there, there are little peaks and valleys there that that 
you know, she wasn't as annoying to me. It's just overall throughout the season, I just found her to be a little, a little too naive for one. And the, it, it seems like, especially when I see her, when I see Leslie Hope and other TV shows and movies and whatnot, seeing her, it seems like there's some times where she tries too hard to play the damsel in distress. And that, that's the part that, that kind of, I guess, agitates me a little bit. Um, but in episodes eight through 13, the ones we're covering, she wasn't as annoying as she was through those first several episodes, you know, where she was trying, where she was being, too dependent on where Jack was, too dependent on, you know, asking Jack, where are you every five seconds? Um, these batch of episodes, she wasn't as d- dependent upon that. She was more taking charge for herself and trying to keep her and Kim safe. Um, of course, she asked Jack where, she asked Jack where, she, where he was when he called, but other than that, she was she did more taking charge, which was which was okay for me. Yeah, we mm. talked last week, didn't we, about how the sort of the weepy, um, sort of unsure of everything that's going on version of Leslie Hope that she portrayed in those episodes, particularly the one where Jack comes to the hospital, doesn't really work. But in this, she's got to be that level-headed, straight. Okay, we're going to stay calm. Everything's going to be fine. Keep you know keep going on, we're going to get out of this, Jack's going to come save us, type with Kim, and it works. And the phone call that you mentioned there with, um, with Jack in episode 10, so it's a big, long act. Uh, Jack's trying to escape the police, and Terry and Kim are obviously trying to make sure that they don't get caught with the phone. And Leslie Hope, actually, I think is really good in that. Kiefer Sutherland is superb with his emotions, um, but Hope is, is very consistent throughout. She, you know, she's obviously feeling emotional, but she's still trying to stay strong in front of her daughter. She's still trying to stay strong for Jack and for herself, I guess. Um, and I think that she is, that that's probably the best way that 24 used her. Mm. Yeah. Other, other than when she died. Yes. Spoilers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, at, all the, right, at, so, this, at this point, at this point it's, it's been, it's been almost 20 years at this point. If you haven't seen it by now, then you're not going to see it. So <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah. We, we are not necessarily careful on uh, spoilers on this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't realize that, but, but kind of, kind of moving on here, um, moving on to gains. Um, <clears throat> one thing I, I thought was kind of interesting is through the first eight episodes, Gaines is portrayed as like the mastermind guy that's controlling everything. And, 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 and it's like, it's like, he's like totally unwavering and it's like, this is, it's my way or the highway, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then after the failed assassination attempt, we, we, we start to learn that, okay, he's not the one that's actually in control. He was just hired. And, um, and you start to see that he, he kind of changes a little bit when, uh, when it's in, in perspective of um, Drazen that, that he's working with. And so I thought that was really interesting how that kind of changed a little bit when, when that was introduced. 
I mean, there's a there's a really great scene in episode ten. Andre's first scene with the phone call um, when he tells him. I think I think that's the phone call where he tells him about um, if you need, if you don't have a plan if you if plan A fails you should have a plan B not plan A recycled. Also one of the greatest ever quotes. <laughs> um, but Andre starts that conversation with saying "Hello, Ira," and rewatching it the other day, the music just goes super dramatic at that moment that he speaks, and Michael Massey's face just kind of drops like he is not terrified, but like oh you know that kind of feeling of I've done something wrong and now my boss is after me that 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 kind of feeling it looks like that he embodies that and mm-hmm. it's at that point that you realize as you said that he's not the great mastermind of all this he's just kind of the the, the pawn the, the bishop I guess um, of Andre's master plan and actually from this point onwards for the next couple of episodes up until they realize that Jack's at the compound Gaze is kind of sidelined a lot of this episode I wrote here on my notes that a lot of these four episodes feel a bit like housekeeping for Gaines. All of the best relevant stuff that involved him came in the first eight episodes where he was orchestrating Rick and Dan and then taking charge of Kim and then, you know, taking control of Jack. And then as soon as he doesn't have control of Jack anymore, it almost feels like the show doesn't have that much of a use for him. So he does, for these sort of three episodes, I mean, I think episode 12, and to an extent, episode 11, at the end of that, there's a lot of time where he's just on the phone and telling people to pack up the vans. Up until they discover Kevin, that's what he does for about an hour. Um, so he, it does feel a little bit like they ran out of story with him. Um, but, you know, Michael Massey is superb throughout, so it just about carries through. I think, um, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to think back um, to season one and trying to figure out exactly when they were extended for those last eleven episodes. Because through the first, yes, nine episodes, I want to say, you didn't hear anything about Drazen. To my knowledge, I, unless I missed something. Um, <clears throat> but then all of a sudden, you know, it's like Gaines goes from the main villain to the secondary villain. So it kind of makes me wonder. They knew that they were. OK, it kind of makes me wonder. They knew that they were going to write Gaines out on episode 13. But. They just got extended for another 11 episodes. So it sounds to me like that's when they decided to rewrite some parts in those last few episodes to kind of play up and introduce that main villain that's going to take them into those last 11 episodes after Gaines is dead. So they got the uh, back 11 pickup order after episode three. Uh, okay. just, before episode four, uh, just before episode four aired. So they had three episodes there. I don't know how many they'd written. But um, the first time you get any indication of, I'm going to say Gaines, um, obviously, uh, not Gaines, sorry, uh, Drazen, Andre appears in episode 10. And then a few minutes later, um, Terry mentions Jack having gone away two years ago for a couple of weeks. Um, and she thought it was some, you know, he, he said it was just some training exercise. She thought it was a mission. Obviously, it ends up being nightfall. That's the first episode 
of the show where you get any indication of Nightfall, Drazen, pa- you know, Palmer's involvement in this, any, any of that, that's the first time it happens. Um, so it does feel very much like that was probably sort of episode 9, 10 was being written when they got this back, back order and they said, right, now we can start having fun with this because you see over the next sort of four or five episodes, little clues getting dropped in, you know, the first mention of Nightfall, you know, the first mention of Palmer knowing Jack, uh, Jack recognising what all this potentially may be. Um, it's at this point that it starts coming in. And the other yeah. thing, actually, you are, you are right. I think in the 13-episode season, Gaines is just some guy trying to kill David Palmer, isn't he? Like, Andre Drazen doesn't exist in a 13-episode season at all because um, there's no way to explain it. There's no way to have the backstory. There's no way to have it as impactful as it ends up being. It just ends up being, as you know, Palmer will later note, that he's surprised that it's nothing to do with him being president, nothing to do with him being black, nothing to do with him running for the, you know, the primary None of that. Suddenly, if it's a 13-episode season and it's just games, it probably is about one of those things. Yeah, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of how I figured it because, um, you know, most episodic TV shows, usually they're, they're writing kind of their back half, you know, as the first half is airing. Um, so I kind of, I just saw the dramatic shift because through the first eight or nine episodes, you know, all, all I was, all I thought, all I was privy to was that, you know, this was just totally 100% about an assassination attempt on David Palmer. That was, if I was watching it for the first time, that would be my knowledge of what the season is about. We didn't get an idea that, you know, Jack may somehow be a target until episode 10. When, and even, even through episode 10, the phone call between, between Drazen and Gaines, Gaines is still saying, you know, David Palmer will be dead by the end of the day. But when you hear Drazen's end of the phone call, he says, we can't have Palmer and Jack in the same city on the same day and let it slip through our fingers. So Drazen is 100% focused on killing both of them. Whereas mm-hmm. Gaines is still talking about killing David Palmer. So you kind of see the, the, the differences there in their, their motivations. So it kind of tells, it kind of tells me when you see that, especially it being 19 years since, I first saw it um, that they were setting, they were setting Drazen up to be uh, the main villain in that back half, of the back half of the series. Yeah. And, and, and also along that same line, uh, there's that conversation um, between Gaines and Drazen where uh, I think it's that, that exact same conversation, Bradley, you were referring to where, and, and he says, okay, for you, this is about the money. For me, this is personal. So th- there is no, let's see if we can make it work. This is, okay, this is going to happen because this is our opportunity. This is our window. We need to, we have to take care of this. And so, and so Drayson's like, <laughs> it's like, I don't care about your money. I don't care about any, and whatever 
things that you got going on, we're taking care of this. And so, um, whereas Gaines, he's just thinking, oh, let me salvage this. I don't want to lose the money. I don't want to whatever. And of course, he doesn't want to be hunted down either. But for him, it's like, oh, I, I don't want to lose all this money that we've already dumped into this. Yeah, and then you get, the converse, you get the conversation of, you know, if you, if you fail again, the money's not all you'll lose. And later with Kevin in, in 13, before Gaines dies, saying that, we either we kill Bauer, either we eliminate Bauer or Drazen eliminates us. That's it. Mm-hmm. it it's as simple as that. Drazen is, is ruthless. That's the the message you get here. Um, and Gaines is is going to end up a victim if if Jack doesn't kill him first, which he obviously does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so so we talked a little bit about um, Palmer, but and, and I think in the past we've talked about it, but I mean his his character like stays firm throughout all of this as, as, as the season progresses, you can see more and more. Okay. At the, at the beginning the, the first part is like, okay, great. He's a politician. He stands for honesty and openness and things like that. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. All, all politicians say that, but <laughs> he's put to the test over and over and over and over. And, and he still sticks with that. And he goes, when it comes to bringing up this whole thing with Keith, He's, he's like, we need to come forward with this and hit it head on. And everyone's like, but it's going to ruin your presidency. You're never going to be elected and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, but this is, this is the right thing to do. We need to come forward with it. We need to do this regardless of the possible outcome. And, and I mean, and that's just a character trait that he has that shows through all the way, all, all, all through four and point one seasons that he's in. And, uh, and, and he just sticks to that and it doesn't matter what the consequences to him personally are. Now, maybe he'll try to get away from it or find another way that's a compromise, but, but in the end of the day, he's like, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. It doesn't matter what the consequence, even if it hurts me personally. And so I, I think that's really strong of his character. And I think that's why Allstate hired him to, do the commercials. <laughs> that and the fact that Dennis Haysbert is an absolute master. Yes. When you're, when you're in good hands, you're in good hands. <laughs> I mean, the thing I'd forgotten about season one, rewatching it, is that Palmer's campaign is sort of presented as that Logan, Alan Wilson, Graham Bauer type thing of, actually, he's the pawn. He's the one being controlled. He's got the, he'll have the power, but he's not in control at all. And it's, you know, that, that's the one, one of the things that, before I'd rewatched these one, I kind of just would have gone over my head. Um, and I think you do actually need, you know, you're saying about his integrity and how he continually proves that and his morality and all, you know, he's going to be open and honest and everything like that. I think you actually need that, that, that those nefarious types, you know, we never really get to know them at all. Um, I think the names are given later in the season. I can't remember what they are. Um, but apart from Carl, they just exist in the background and yet, you kind of know that they're always hanging over, always hanging over. And Palmer is just being himself. He is being that, that shining beacon of hope, I guess, in a way um, that we can, we can get behind. That's what, that's what Palmer kind of shares with Jack that you don't always know what his motivations are behind what he does but you always know that every move he makes is 
very calculated, um, thought out. Um, he doesn't do anything without knowing what all the what all the the players are, knowing what all the knowing what the consequences might be. But one thing he and Jack have in common is every action he takes is not with the thought process of what could happen to me. He's always, he's always thinking about what is the best, what is best for my family and what is best for the country. Those two things are at the core, at the forefront of his, of his thought process, not, not just, you know, how is this going to affect me? And I think that's one of the, that's one of the things that kind of takes him through the entire four, four and an episode seasons um, that you can always relate to. And ultimately the best thing for the country here is that he does sort of not sweep it under the rug, but like he, he backs off. He doesn't antagonize Carl as much as he can. I mean, you know, we'll get to this later down the line, but that decision that he makes in episode 13, I mean, the line that he gives to Mike, if that, if this had been his final line in a 13 episode season would have been one of the best ever of I'm running for president, Mike, and I'm going to win. Like if you needed an example uh, to be shown exactly what his intentions are, exactly what he wants, exactly what this character is. It's right there. He's going to be president. He wants to be president. That's all he wants. And yes, you know, they've had this conversation about what sort of things he can do once he's in office, the power that he'd have, the fact that he can actually just escape the, the sort of the shackles of these businessmen. And actually in this moment, that's it. Everything that he thought would be best for his family, you know, coming clean about Ferragamo, about his son, all of this. Yes, that would have been best for his family, but so is getting into the White House. And that's also best for everyone else in America. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, as all this stuff is going on, there's still all their turmoil and stuff that's going on at CTU. Because uh, it, so thus far in the season, we have um, we we had the oh I forgot his name now um, first leader at CTU uh, director Walsh. there. What's that? Walsh. Walsh. Yeah, Walsh. Walsh. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So so Walsh dies. Jack basically <clears throat> kind of steps up, takes the place, and now Jack is a wall. And they're bringing in all these other people. Everything's getting turned upside down inside of CTU. And, and Jack is basically on his own, but he is still kind of maintaining a little bit of contact with Tony and Nina. And both of them are struggling with, okay, do we rat on Jack or is Jack right? And we need to go ahead and play this and help him. And, and there's a struggle that they're, they're going through as, as all this is happening. Tony is so very incredibly blinded by his um, attraction to Nina during these episodes. Like yeah. there's, there's even, I think it's in 13 where he just starts and says, I'm not doing this for Jack. We, we call, we call that being whipped. That's what we call <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, um but you you can see you can see that little 
after Jack gets away from the cops. After, you know, once he makes the phone call, once Tony, or once he tells Tony that, you know, I know you were the one that, that called and basically ratted me out. And, you know, him and Tony kind of had a little, had a little moment there that you, you started to see the glimpses of, you know, the wall between Jack and Tony starting to come down a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but then, but you can tell that Tony is still torn because at least in season one, Tony is still by the book. You know, he still wants to do things the the CTU way, the, the protocols and, you know, things like that. And he's torn because Nina is fully 100% in the helping Jack, <laughs> you know, Helping Jack takes precedent over everything else going on at CTU. And he's torn because he's still he's still whipped by Nina <laughs> and he's he still wants to follow protocols. So it's it's like an internal struggle between Tony and you know the right way to do it and the Jack way to do it. <laughs> Which is still the right way, but it's a different right way. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and so so it's, it's just really interesting all the different dynamics that are playing and of course it's all building up until until finally it, they're like okay something's going down and end of 13 we have c2 coming in and rescuing after jack actually finishes everything i guess basically but c2 comes in and acts like the hero um and so <laughs> <laughs> Alberta that Green gets to be the hero of types for a little bit. Yeah. And then <laughs> like see this? <laughs> no one likes her. No one likes her and you know that gets only gets worse in the next two episodes. Yeah. And so and we'll definitely be getting into all that as we go into the uh next week when we get into the next set of episodes and so we'll take the next several episodes I don't know episode 14 through something. 16, 17, 18, we'll figure out the exact division. But for you listening, if you have any feedback, any opinions that you would like to uh, share, we are definitely very open to being able to do that. We didn't have any come in for this week, but we would love to be able to share your feedback on the podcast. So you can do that by going to 24podcast, uh, I'm sorry, 24faithful.com, and you can be able to fill out the contact form there, or you can even call... 405-771-0567 and that will uh you can be able to leave a voicemail there we can be able to get that to share it on the podcast as well and so definitely excited to being able to continue on and get to this next one i have one of my favorite scenes coming up in this next section that i can't wait to talk about and so looking forward to that so bradley joel thank you again for joining us and no problem. we are out.